God's word for the sermon today is from the Gospel of John in chapter 9. A very revealing story about the power and love of Jesus and our understanding about the purpose of pain in our lives. I'll read various verses. You can follow along. This is projected or also in your worship folders on page 4. John chapter 9, beginning at verse 1. As Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned that this man or his parents that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Now we go to verse 13. There's the man sees various people in there and, and uh, the various church authorities doubt what he's saying. His neighbors are wondering what's going on. He's really healed. All right, now verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, How can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, He is a prophet. And we go to verse 34. There's various interactions yet between this man and the Pharisees. To this they replied, You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking to you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. This is the word of the Lord. I told you I would give you a review of the movie The Shack, so here it is. I like it. I really like it, actually, but not without one concern. Here's what I like about it. Uh, I, I like that there's a main point and that all the sub-points of the plot don't distract from the plot, but they lead you toward it. And the main point, this is one of the reasons I like it, the main point, I believe, is one of the most common disillusionments that people have with God. It's, it exists in this room, and probably in most of us, in our hearts, most of our lives. And it's the most common 
powerful temptation that the devil uses. He uses it in, in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve as the first temptation. He used it with Jesus in the wilderness, and he uses it with you. That's the main point of the shack. And it's this question. How can God be good when life can be so bad? That's it. That's the main point. That's the question that the movie seeks to answer. The main character, his name is Mac. He experiences tragedy in his life, very uh, uh, trauma in his life, and it, and it spirals him into disillusionment with God, disappointment with people, anger, guilt, fear. It puts him into despair, even depression. And then he meets God. And through, his, through this journey, as he meets God and spends some time with God, he gains an understanding of the purpose of pain and why this tragedy happened. And I believe that the movie, through imagery and fantasy and, and, and pictures that, that the movie paints for us, uh, and some fiction in there, in very similar ways to how Jesus tells parables and how he, he spoke the book of Revelation with his fantasy and his images, very similar to that, makes some good spiritual points about how God works. But there's one thing that the movie The Shack will not tell you and does not answer. Sometimes God unleashes his anger and his wrath and his justice on those who deserve it because they, through mockery or rejection, they don't believe in him. He, the, the God that you love is the God who sent the flood and killed people. The God you love is the God who waged war on the enemies of Israel and, and even sent his own Israelites right into captivity. You heard that from the book of Isaiah just previously. There are times when God punishes sin and unbelief. And it's not for the person's good. It's for God's glory. That is not what you'll hear in a shack. But you'll see that in the Bible. God cannot be God if he does not protect his glory. God cannot love if he does not also hate the opposite of what he loves. God cannot promise you good if he's not a God who punishes evil. We find that answer to that dilemma now. How, how do we put those together? How do we make sense of those? The answer is in John chapter 9. And it comes from Jesus and his words and his works and how he heals this blind man. Uh, the story starts out with his disciples, and they're asking a very good question. It's a question of the shack, and it's the question that I talked about as the main point. Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Do you hear that haunting question of the, in the hearts of humanity echoing through time? Why? Why, God? What is the purpose of pain? And whose fault is it anyway? If we get answers to these questions, maybe we can stop the pain. Maybe we can alleviate the suffering in our world once and for all. And Jesus says, absolutely be. God, be ready to listen to his answer. And listen carefully. And believe it. 
when nobody else at work or in your class or in your neighborhood believes it. You gotta be ready to believe it. And he's gonna give it to us. Here it is. We have to start out by looking at, I mean, this is a story about a blind man, but it it goes beyond physical blindness where Jesus has lessons for us, especially if you take into consideration the very last statement he made in verse 39. We're going to get there. So we have to understand blindness and how it's used in the story. So here's, here's my way of helping understand that. Let's say that you're talking to a teenager about texting and driving. And that it's, it's very dangerous, even deadly. Or drinking and driving. Or drinking. Okay? And you, you're sitting, and you just, you have a, a group of teens, or it's your son or your daughter, your grandson or granddaughter, and, and you show them the infographics and the statistics, and you, right, you show them drinking and driving is dangerous and deadly and we don't do it. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely, yep, right? And in the very next breath, they'll say, well, you know, that's all fine and good, but that'll never happen to me. I, I don't have to worry about that. That doesn't apply to me. That's how teenagers think. And then, when you're, let's say you're their mom or dad or their or grandpa or grandma, and you say, all right, listen, I, I need to tell you something. You're, you're a 15-year-old. You're a 16-year-old. I'm a 50-year-old. I'm a 65-year-old. I've been around a, a bit longer than you have, and I have a bit more world experience, and I have a bit more maturity and understanding, and I'm telling you that you need to pay attention to this and be careful. And that's when they roll their eyes and they think, why am I the only one who has parents or grandparents who just don't get it, and they just want to make my life miserable? That is not blindness. That is being blind to your own blindness. That is not just dangerous, but deadly. So I want to show you the three main people or groups of people in this story in John chapter 9. We're going to see how that applies to each of them. Okay, we're going to see how um, the difference, we're going to start out with the difference between physical blindness and spiritual blindness. Do you know what it is? The difference between physical blindness and spiritual blindness? If you get this, you have over half of the answer to the big question, what's, what's the purpose of pain? If you understand this, the difference between physical blindness and spiritual blindness. Okay? The blind man in the story can see that he's blind. He's physic, that's physical blindness. If you, have a, if you ask a person who's physically blind, hey, are you blind? They'll say, well, yeah, of course I'm blind. Right? And, and so in the story, the, he doesn't argue when Jesus tries to restore his sight. And after he's healed, he goes out and he tells people, I was blind and now I see. Right? The, the blind man understood. He saw that he was blind. Physically blind. The Pharisees cannot see that they are blind. This is spiritual blindness now. That's the problem with spiritual blindness. When you're spiritually blind, you, you're blind to your blindness. You don't, you don't see that you're blind. Right? Now, spiritual blindness here is, is putting the stop sign up at God, saying, God, I, no, I don't want you. You're wrong. I don't believe in you. 
It's rejection of God. It's mocking God by unbelief. That's the spiritual blindness is unbelief. All right, and this is the problem with the Pharisees. They're rejecting Jesus as the Son of God. They're blind. Uh, and now the bigger problem is they were the church leaders. They were supposed to be helping other people understand God, and they themselves are blind. So one time Jesus said to them, "You all are a bunch of blind guides." He said, it's like the blind leading the blind. They both fall into a pit. This was true even in the Old Testament. The prophet Isaiah we read from earlier, he was upset, and God was too, at, at the spiritual leaders of God's people in the Old Testament who did the same thing. Listen to these words from Isaiah chapter 56. Israel's watchmen are blind. It's God's calling the prophets and the spiritual leaders watchmen. They're supposed to be watching the people, right? Israel's watchmen are blind. Well, a lot of good that does. They, uh, they all lack knowledge. They are all mute dogs. They cannot bark. Now, I know that sounds good to some of you dog owners, but the, kind of the purpose of having a dog sometimes is to right, protect you. And So a dog that, that, that can't bark is no good. They lie around and dream. They love to sleep. Not well, dogs do that, but he's talking about the, the false prophets, the leaders. Um, you know, they say ignorance is bliss. Okay. Till it kills you. Finally, we see the opposite in the disciples who can see that they are blind. And now this is, when I say it this way, the disciples can see that they are blind. I'm using, and this is spiritual blindness now, but I'm using it in this certain way. All of us have spiritual blindness by nature, and we, we operate with unbelief, and we need to be saved from that. And it constantly harasses us, even once we believe. It, it, it comes and wants to take over us and wants to make us spiritually blind. When you're a believer, you see that spiritual blindness tries to do this to you. And you also see that you don't perfectly understand. You're not God. And that there are times where your faith is shaky with doubt. And there, there, there are times where the spiritual life can be confusing and that you don't know it all. That's what I mean by uh, they, they could see that they were blind. They didn't know it all. They didn't pretend to know it all. They could see that they were blind. There's a difference between the disciples and the Pharisees. So when you don't see something that's dangerous, so let's say it's a busy Saturday, you're at Walmart with the kids, um, you're walking out the doors of Walmart, all right? You, you can't see a car speeding by right in front of the doors of Walmart. You can't see that. As a, so what do you do? You slow down and you look both ways. So now you can see. So you see that you can't see. What would be an example of someone who doesn't see that they can't see? It would be a little child who, who can't see a speeding car either, but they don't, that's, that's not on their radar, right? They're not thinking of that when they're running out the doors of Walmart. And that, so it's dangerous to not be able to see, but it's deadly when you can't see that you can't see.
And that applies spiritually then too. Um, when, when we don't see what we don't see, I'm going to give you three examples of that from the story about uh, not seeing our blindness. The first is pride. Pride doesn't see that it's ugly, that it's rude, that it's self-centered, and that it hurts people, and that it's puffed up. Pride insists that it isn't proud. There, I'm going to tell you a story about two men who were, who were healed by Jesus, um, both of blindness, and these men found each other. And uh, it, it, they, just, they just loved catching up with each other and hearing the stories about how Jesus healed them. And they were just excited as they shared with each other what a joy it is to see the beauty of butterflies and the color of flowers and, and to see the faces of children um, and, and to the wonder of looking at the face of Jesus who healed them. And they were just delighted with each other as they shared how they were healed. And then one of them said, yeah, and, and do you remember how Jesus spit and made mud and then he put it on your eye and you were healed? And the other guy said, he didn't do that. He just said, receive your sight. And then I wasn't blind anymore. I could see. And the other guy says, well, what do you mean? He didn't, he didn't use any mud? No. And, uh, well, it, uh, he sent you to the pool of Siloam, right? When he was done, he sent you to the pool of Siloam? The guy says, no, he didn't send me to the pool of Siloam. Th that's ridiculous. What are you talking about? You know, Jesus doesn't use mud to heal people, and he didn't send me to the pool of Siloam? That's ridiculous. You're, you're the one who's making this stuff up. As a matter, as a matter of fact, you're kind of blind. You don't get that Jesus he can just heal you with his words. And the other guy kind of got upset. He said, well, no, you still, you should have mud in your eye, and you're the one who can't see. And then they just ended up arguing and, and not talking to each other anymore, all because they were fighting for, that their own opinion was the only right opinion. They were too proud. That's what pride does. It ruins relationships with each other and with God. Um, hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is also blind to itself. Uh, hypocrisy condemns sins in others while allowing those same sins in ourselves. Hypocrisy doesn't practice what it preaches. So the Pharisees were guilty of hypocrisy in the story. They were just went ballistic that Jesus performed this healing on what day? Remember? On the Sabbath day. And it wasn't so much that it was a miracle that was part of it. But here's the nitpicky reason why they... The, God made rules for the Sabbath day to make that a day that's set apart to focus on God. And then the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the rabbis uh, of, the, of the Jewish people, they made all kinds of other laws to tr try to make this day as holy as possible and to protect it, and ended up being overwhelming. So they made a law that you can't knead dough on the Sabbath. You can't 
right? You can't mix the flour into the dough, and, and that's, that's work, and you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. And guess what? They felt that Jesus was breaking that rule when he mixed his saliva with the mud. That's kneading! Jesus is breaking the Sabbath. He's working. Here's the hypocrisy. These very men would later put Jesus on trial for claiming to be the Savior of the world and the Son of God. Condemn him and crucify him, all the while breaking rules about when court can be convened, how, de how decisions are made, where verdicts come from. They would bring in false witnesses to accuse Jesus, and they're complaining that Jesus is kneading on the Sabbath. Hypocrisy. Blind to itself. They didn't see it. They didn't understand that or they wouldn't have done it. Finally, superiority. Superiority loves to keep score. Oh, superiority is always comparing. Always comparing myself with... When I walk into a room, I wonder, what are people thinking of me? Is my hair straight? Is, are, are they going to like me? Um, who, who, who can I talk to? Who's going to... Always looking at myself and wondering, what are others thinking of me? And then, in that thought process, coming up with something that makes me superior to at least one other person, if not everybody else. It's always keeping score and finding a way for me to score more points than someone else or a group of other people. That's superiority. And the Pharisees did that with this blind man. They just berated him when he explained that he was healed by Jesus, this prophet. And they just said, you were steeped in sin at birth. Oh, now they were making, giving the answer as to why he was blind. And it was wrong. The Pharisees even consider themselves superior to Jesus. They say about him, how can a sinner perform such signs? How can Stacy be given first chair clarinet when she didn't go to the band camps that I went to? How can my neighbors be so negligent? Their dog barks too much. They don't take care of their front lawn. They're noisy and inconsiderate. They park their cars in the wrong places in front of, on the curb in front of my house. I would never do that. How could my wife forget to pay the electric bill? Doesn't she love me? I, God, why did I marry such a failure? And, and certainly, she must realize what a privilege it is for her to be married to someone like me who would never make any such mistake. That's not a true story. I'm, I'm just making that up. She's, she always pays our bills on time, too. But we think like that, even right of our, of our nearest and dearest loved ones. We, we have to be superior 
And, and while we are practicing pride and hypocrisy and superiority in our hearts, while we are judging others, Jesus has the right to judge us. And we say, great, bring it on. I mean, I'm a better clarinetist than Stacy is. So Jesus, if you want to judge me on that, go right ahead. Jesus, I, I have a bright personality. People like me. You, you want to, Jesus, you can judge me on that. I am more organized. All my socks are organized by color and shape and size more than anyone else in the county, Jesus. Go ahead, judge me. I'm, I'm the best organized person ever. If you want to judge me on that, I'm in pretty good shape. Jesus, I'm the nicest. Jesus, I'm the prettiest. I'm the, what? Is, does Jesus judge us on our superiority? No, he doesn't. You can always find something you're better at than everyone else, okay? But when it comes to Jesus and his judgment, he doesn't judge you based on that, give you special gold stars. Jesus' standard for judging you is not your superiority, but how you see your superiority. How you use it in pride and hypocrisy and making yourself better as you're keeping score. And you don't see it. You, you think that you're superior. You think you see it all. You think you know it all. I, I think, I'm, I'm, boy, am I great. And Jesus says, no, you, you, know, you don't see it at all. Verse 39 is what he says. This is the clinch verse of this whole story. Here it is. This is the answer. If you don't go and see the movie The Shack, just look at this verse. This explains it all. For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Those who see... Those who, like the Pharisees, are going to stand in judgment on others. They're going to define, redefine the Sabbath for God. They know that Jesus isn't the Savior. They see it all. And Jesus says, you will be made blind. That's judgment. But here's another judgment, and this is a positive one, a blessed one. Judgment is, can be good. But a decision that's made, and Jesus says, those who are blind. Jesus, I just don't understand what's going on in my life. It seems like you're not there sometimes. What, God, what is this doctrine? Infant baptism? I'm not really sure that babies can be baptized. Jesus, can you help me understand? I don't, I don't know, God, this role of men and women in the church thing, and that it's just, just is not how our world operates. What, can you, God, can you bring me more of your words so that I can understand this and believe it? I can't see it. I'm blind. God, I've been praying this for five years, and I, I haven't seen your answer. I'm blind. Jesus says, the blind will see.
It's a promise. It's not just a judgment on Pharisees, but a promise to you and to me. So the blind man knew he was blind. The Pharisees didn't know that they were blind. Uh, The blind man, when you're blind, like I just described, confused, looking for help, waiting for prayer. When you're blind, you're closer to the kingdom of God than those who see. Those who see, like the Pharisees, it's like they're it's like they're walking into the woods. They're, they're on spring break and they're camping, and uh, it's night, and their their campsite is right next to to the, to the woods, and it's it's dark out, and they take this flashlight, and to walk through the woods without tripping or falling or, or, or getting injured in any way, they have a flashlight. They turn the flashlight on and they say, whoa! While it's, while it's lighting up the path, they look at the flashlight. Look at that flashlight! That's the best looking flashlight! That's my flashlight! Isn't that a special flashlight? And while they're walking, they trip, stumble, fall. Gone. They weren't looking at the light. They were looking at how great the flashlight is. All right, Jesus says, I have something better for you. All right, so he says this here in chapter 9, verse 5 in John. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. You you don't have to find me. You don't have to turn me on. You don't have to put batteries in me, Jesus says. I'm the light of the world. I'm like the sun when it's daytime, and it, it brightens everything. And just follow it. Just live in it and believe it, Jesus says. Um, He said elsewhere, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Can Jesus be your light? Will you follow him wherever he wants to lead you? Will you receive his healing grace? When he says to you, you know, I've got to fix something. Can I, can I take care of that for you? When you do, then you see that Jesus sees. And you see what Jesus sees. And that's the promise. That's the promise Jesus makes, that the blind will see. Let me tell you three ways how that happens, ways from this story, and uh, ways that are helpful for us, positive ways that come out of being able to see and see that Jesus sees. To be able to see, number one, that I am my worst problem. This is a good thing, okay? This realization. It's not a good thing that I'm a problem, but it's a good thing to realize it, right? So our, our, our Bible reading group at Holy Word Pflugerville this last week had this as one of the themes of our devotions. And it was eye-opening for some of us as we discussed it. And some people said, I've never heard this before, but to realize that I am my, that my circumstances aren't the problem, to realize we all tend to blame too much and point the figure and cast blame elsewhere. Guess what? When we're doing that, we're not dealing with the problem. But to be able to say, I'm the worst problem is... To be able to be real about it and to own it. And when I own it and it's real, then Jesus' grace for me is real. And then Jesus' treatment and healing for that is real. If I can simply own it and say, I'm the worst problem, and then Jesus can deliver deliver me from whom? 
from myself and I'm free. Secondly, even though you are your worst problem, you are not Jesus' worst problem. Jesus doesn't consider you his worst problem. Even though uh, your high maintenance, uh, it's fine. Jesus can handle it. Your high you're not a problem. Your high maintenance, Jesus can handle that, but you're not a problem. Jesus doesn't see you as a problem. He sees you as God's work, as the work of God. That's what he said about this man who was born blind. That's the answer when the, when the disciples ask, why was he born blind? Jesus says it right here, verse 3. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So the blind man, two things. He was Jesus' project, and he was Jesus' billboard. Like a kitchen remodeling project. And you have the, I, I see this in our neighborhood right now. I, I drive by this house four times a day. And there's trucks parked outside and the front door is open and there's all kinds of materials coming in, new, and materials going out, old. And there's a sign, there's like three signs in the front yard, like whatever the title of the business is, Kitchen Renovating, Austin Kitchens, something. And so there you go. There's a project in process and that company is using the people who are renovating their kitchen to be their billboard, to do their advertising for them. They might even ask them to put, post a review online. This man was a project. Jesus was working on him. And then he became a billboard, and he told all kinds of other people what Jesus had done. You are his project. He's working on you. So a great question for you to ask when there's pain, trouble, tragedy, suffering in your life is this. What's God working on in me right now? That will reveal some good answers. What is God working on me? He's not done with you yet. Anytime there's, there's struggle or suffering or trouble, just remember, God's not done with me. He's working on me. And then he wants you to be his billboard, his witness. And he, he wants you to go and tell others and, and to show others. Uh, maybe he healed your addiction so you can help other people who have addictions. Right? Maybe he, he gave you a, a, a miracle child that you didn't think you, you were able to have kids, and he gave you kids, and you can tell other people what a blessing that, that God is in your life. You can invite other people to church. You can be his billboard, his advertisement. Give him a five-star review for his saving work. All right, here's, I'm saving the best for last. <laughs> you are no longer blind when you see that Jesus sees you not as a sinner, but as a disciple. To see you in this way, Jesus had to become blind. The night before he was crucified, Jesus was arrested by the guards and taken into custody. And they kept him safe until they put him on trial. You know what they were doing while they were while he was under their custody, while they were keeping him? The Bible tells us here in uh, Mark chapter 14, <clears throat> the guards began to spit at him, they blindfolded him, struck him with their fists, and said, Prophesy! Who hit you? They took him and beat him. 
Jesus couldn't see the sinners, the soldiers, who were smashing his face. Not because he was blindfolded. He's Jesus. He can see through a blindfold. He knows everything, right? But he couldn't see them because he closed his own eyes to them. And he literally, after one cheek was smashed, turned the other cheek. And he closed his eyes, and he chose to not know who was hitting him, and not prophesy, and not tell them, and not play their games, but to take the abuse, to become a victim. And in that moment that he was blind and couldn't see, he was taking the curse. He was experiencing his own justice. He was suffering for the sins of all those who think that they see. He became blind in that moment to save you, to heal you of any of your blindness so that you can see. That that's what he ultimately did for the blind man. And so in the end it says this, this blind man who comes... Eventually they, the, the Pharisees throw him out of the church. Jesus goes and he finds this blind man. Tossed out of his church, he goes and finds him. And then he asks him, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus sees no sinner here. Jesus sees a disciple. Jesus says to you, do you believe in the Son of Man? Do you believe in me? Do you believe in Jesus? And you say, I, Jesus, help me believe more. He says, you, you're looking right at me. And I'm talking to you. And I see you. Not as a sinner. I see you as a disciple. I see you as a disciple who... What's our discipleship process? It's a really good fit here in John 9. A disciple who believes. A disciple who belongs. Jesus is saying to this blind man, you belong in the church, not out of it. You belong with others who have been healed. You belong in a community that cares for you. You're a disciple who is becoming... Something better. You're a project of God. He's working on you. You're becoming. And like this blind man, you're going beyond what's comfortable and what boundaries are so that you can tell others about him. That's Jesus fulfilling his promise that the blind will see. That's Jesus who became blind himself so that you, who have been blind... Now see. And when you see Jesus, you see everything. Amen.